Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, man, you see that cute little girl? That's my little girl. Super cute. She's not a great sweeper yet, but we're working on it. How are you doing today? How many of you watched the triumphant return of Oregon Ducks football yesterday? It's a good day to be a duck and a beaver. They got one. They, they beat the mighty powerhouse Portland State. That's all I'm going to say. Well, so good to see everyone here today. Um, everybody had to get a lantern out in front of your car to get through the, the uh, smoke today, huh? I'm a little bit sad because the entire city smells like camping. And if you know me, that's not what I like, but uh, so glad to be here today. Thank you for being here. We're continuing in a series called I Love My City, looking at the ways that we as a group, that we as a church can best love and serve this beautiful city that God has placed us in. God has placed us here with purpose. God has placed us here with a purpose. We're here to make a difference in our city, to love, to serve it, to, to see God's kingdom come uh, on earth here in the city of Eugene, in Springfield, all around in Lane County, as it is in heaven. Yeah, that's what we're here to, to do. And today, I want to talk about an important way, an important topic that I believe is, is integral. It's vital to see God's purposes come into action and come to fulfillment in our city, and it's the topic of leadership. Now, a lot of people, including myself at one point in my life, would hear the word leader and immediately plug your ears and go, no, 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 that's not me. How many of you would say I fall into this category? Like, I'm not a leader, right? I'm not a leader. But I want to I wanna talk today about a new paradigm of leadership that Jesus gives us, a new paradigm of leadership that really changes everything and I think changes the game for every person who maybe doesn't think of themselves as a leader. So lean in today. That's what we're going to talk about. But I want to, I want to get a little interactive. Today, uh, we're going to have crowd participation, right? So there's no crowd participation prize, but you could go buy yourself lunch. You're an adult. You can buy yourself a present anytime you want. Isn't that awesome? Like, I, it's so great being an adult. You're like, hey, it's, Chris, it's Christmas. No, it's not. It's September. No, it's Christmas for me because I have a credit card. I could just go buy something. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to get in debt only if you have the money. Okay. You all right? Yeah, you, use, them, use them up and pay them off at the end of the month or burn them or cut them, whatever you want to do. But let's get interactive. Help me out here. Name, just shout it out. I want you to name some of history's greatest leaders. Who's somebody that, what's that? Lincoln, okay. David. John Wooden, that's an awesome one. George Washington. If you're from Southern Oregon, you say George Washington. I don't know why, but they, they do. That's where I'm from. So, okay, George Washington. How, throw out some other ones. Jesus, Sunday school answer, cheating. Okay. Who else? I'm just kidding. Moses? All right, who else? Martin Luther King. Okay, good. How about some famous generals? Any famous generals you know of? MacArthur. Who else? George Washington. Okay, great job. Give yourself a hand. You all get an A plus for your answers. That's awesome. Now, second question. You're thinking about these great leaders, uh, George Washington, some of these great generals in history, these leaders, Churchill, Napoleon, different ones. Maybe they weren't always positive leaders, right? There's people that have been leaders that aren't always positive, do positive things. What are some of their qualities that you would say, this is what they possess? What are some of the qualities of these great leaders? Go. Integrity. Integrity. Wisdom. Wisdom. Confidence. Keep going. Good looks. That's, that's all I got going for me as a leader. Yeah, right. Go ahead. Keep going. Persistence. Persistence. Keep going. Tenacity. Tenacity. Come on. Keep going. Vision. Faith. Vision. Come on. More and more. 
Charisma. Okay, good. Give yourself another round of applause. You guys are awesome. So I want to ask you about these qualities, though, and you don't have to answer back at this point, but just tell me if you think this is what leaders sound like. So when you're envisioning these great historical leaders, these men and women that have integrity and somebody said persistence and tenacity and wisdom and uh, all these kinds of things, boldness, some of the things I heard, courage. What about these qualities? Meek, humble, a servant, a slave, underqualified. How about afraid, freaked out, insecure? How many of you are like, no, that's not necessarily what they write in the encyclopedia under the word leader. Would you agree with me? You know, when we think of leaders, we think of boldness, right? We think of courage. We think of tenacity. We think of someone who's charismatic, who's larger than life, who, who will do things that no one else is willing to do, right? And we sort of have this idea of leadership, and it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong but I would say to you today that it is incomplete and that some of these other words that I just read to you actually would fit into the greatest and most dynamic leaders in history and how you and I can be the best leaders that God has called us to be. What if I told you that our natural understanding, just what we can figure out about leadership with our own minds and our own observations is actually incorrect. It's wrong. It's, it's wrong in so many different ways. You know, a lot of us suffer from leadership and I ask you today, how many of you would say, I'm a leader? Or how many of you would say, I'm not a leader? And for a lot of people, if you were asked to get in front of a group of people and do what I'm doing right now, speak in front of a lot of people, some people would actually rather die than do this. And, and when I preach, some people would rather die than listen. So, you know, it's <laughs> quid pro quo there. That was a funnier joke than you gave me credit for. I'm just being honest. But the reason that we have this fear of leadership, the reason we say, hey, that's not me, that's not who I am. I can't be like a Lincoln or a Washington or, or one of these people. Is because we assume that leadership is about personality, that it's about gifting, and that it's about a position of authority. And you could put it in this way in plain, in plain English, that we think leaders are loud, proud, and bossy, right? And some people are loud, proud, and bossy, but that's not necessarily what makes them a leader. And if you're loud, proud, and bossy, hey, we need your gift to, to, to move in the, in the church and in the city. So don't, don't feel embarrassed if you are loud, proud, and bossy. That's great, because God wired you that way. But what about those that are not loud, that are not proud, that are not bossy, that don't walk into the room with confidence oozing out of their skin? See, for me, I grew up, and one of the things I've, I dealt with, and I still deal with it to some extent, is insecurity. Just feeling like I, I'm not as good as others, or I'm not going to be able to, to be what I want to be or achieve what I want to achieve. Insecurity. How many of you have been plagued by this? And I think God wants to deal with that insecurity, but one of the ways that he wants to deal with that insecurity is to shift your perspective on what it looks like to be a leader, what it looks like to be a leader. You see, maybe in the world, maybe for worldly leaders, loud, proud, and bossy is what leadership is all about. But in God's kingdom, that's not what it's about. It's actually about something very different. And I want to tell you a story today. I want to look into an account where Jesus gives us a radical new paradigm of leadership. And it's found in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 35. And I love this story. It's probably top five for me in the scriptures. It's, a, it's this window into Jesus interacting with his disciples. If you're younger than 30, this is his posse. Yeah? You know what I mean? These are his homies. How am I doing, John? You like that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, you're young at heart. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I want to read this in the message paraphrase because I think the wording is good and we get the sense 
uh, really well. It says, James and John, Zebedee's sons, came up to him. This is Jesus. And they said, teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. What is it? I'll see what I can do. Arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest place, highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right, the other at your left. In other words, Jesus, when you take over everything, and they, they thought he was going to be the king of Israel, like he was going to, you know, turn Chuck Norris and just go totally kung fu on Rome and, you know, win these battles and all this stuff. Don't be jealous of my moves. Uh, and so they're like, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit at your right and your left. We want to be those guys that are right there with you in your Instagram selfie, like right, left and right and right there. And Jesus replies, he says, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink? Of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? And Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about servanthood. But they're not, on, they're not at this level. So they're like, what's Jesus going to drink? Probably Red Bull. So sure. They said, why not? Uh, sure, they said, why, why not? And Jesus says this, come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in my baptism. In other words, when you follow me, you're going to go through some stuff. And you don't know what that means yet, but I'm going to give you a little hint. Uh, you are going to walk through the same things I walk through. But he goes on, but as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. And when the other 10 heard of this conversation, I love this part here, they lost their tempers with James and John. And Jesus got them together to settle things down. They're fighting. Why? Because these two guys came up and they tried to call spiritual shotgun with Jesus. And so these other guys are mad. The disciples are angry, not because uh, they're so humble. They're mad because they, they, they're mad they didn't get to Jesus first. You know, I didn't know the buffet was open yet. And this guy got in front of me and ate all the chicken, the chicken fingers. Come on. And they're upset. And so Jesus is, he gets his, his, his tribe together, his disciples, and it's like kids fighting, you know. And so Jesus says, guys, come together. And it says here that Jesus began to settle. He, he got them together and began to settle things down. And he says this, and this is just brilliant. He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. But it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great. Now, I want you to remember this word, great. Some translations say whoever wants to be first. Some say whoever wants to be a leader. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve. And Jesus is referencing himself. That was a term, a messianic term, the son of man that applies to Jesus. He says, the son of man came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. So Jesus introduces this incredibly different, brand new, radical paradigm of leadership. And he says, do you want, if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant. Now this word great in Greek, is the word megos. It's where we get our word mega. And what it means is, is this. It means of major significance or importance. And it actually carries this connotation of being a surprise. Like, I had no idea this was as awesome as it really is. You ever gone to a hole-in-the-wall restaurant? You know, you, you walk in, you're like really hungry, and you're, and you're not a risk taker per se, but you go in, and this is how I am. I'm like, I go to my, my places, but every once in a while, I'll try, I'll branch out and try something new. 
and I go into some place, and I, I love ethnic food, Indian, Thai, all these kind of places, and you walk in, and, and you're like, I don't know, it looks kind of funny, it smells kind of funny, but you get your food, and then you're just like, oh my goodness, that was so delicious. You ever have these experiences? And you're just surprised at how great it is. Because the outside didn't look like it was going to be great. You didn't have an expectation, but you're, you're just surprised. Like, this was way better than I thought it was going to be. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Do you want to be the kind of person that other people come around you and they're like, man, I had no idea you were as awesome as you are. Isn't that cool? If you want to be surprisingly awesome of significance and of importance, if you want your life to make a difference, in other words, if you want to be a leader that is inspirational, someone that when people come around you, they're like, I just want to be a better person. I want to love Jesus more. I want to help other people. If you want to be that kind of person, Jesus says, let me tell you the secret. It's not to be loud, proud, and bossy. It's not to look like you're full of courage and confidence and maybe wear these, this armor of what a great leader looks like. No, it's to be a servant. In fact, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, if you want to be surprisingly significant and important, then you even need to be a slave. And Jesus says, look, that's what I came to do. I didn't come to take over everything and be great in the eyes of people on the surface. No, I came to be surprisingly great. You see, Jesus was not acclaimed in his time and in his age. It's very interesting to me that when Jesus rose from the dead, that at the, even at the end, when he's ascending into heaven, there's like a few hundred people. And then by the time of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's 120 people in the upper room. Jesus never had a mega church. He ministered to multitudes, but he never gathered multitudes. He didn't have a mega church. He didn't have a mega following. He was known locally in this podunk little country on the outside edge of the Roman Empire. And Jesus was giving a radical new paradigm of leadership. But yet we sit here today, 2,000 years later, because of his surprising greatness as a result of what? His servanthood, his sacrifice, that he gave his life and he served the people that were there with him at that time in history. And he passed on this great love and this great heart of a servant. And we are here today because that serving and that loving and that giving has continued to this point right now. Jesus called for and he demonstrated a brand new kind of leadership. This is what it is. It's called servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now, when you hear that term, servant leadership, I think it kind of sounds ridiculous to us, doesn't it? Because aren't, isn't a servant and a leader diametrically opposed? Right? How many of you hear servant leadership, and a lot of you are believers and followers in Christ, so you're like, I've heard it before. Okay, but put these words together and think about it. It's actually a paradox. How can you be both a servant and a leader, because these are actually opposite terms. That's what it would appear to us. But I want to put this out today that Jesus is actually accurate and right in his definition of leadership. You know, we talk about in Genesis when mankind fell in sin. And at that point, the world was turned upside down. And so the things that we see in the natural that appear right, that appear correct, that appear accurate are actually out of order. They're upside down. I want you to imagine for a second that you walk into a room and everyone's standing on their head. And so you walk in and, and, and they're like, why are you upside down? Well, I'm not. I'm the one with my feet on the ground. You're standing on your head. You see, our natural understanding, when we come and we think about leadership, it's like we're standing on our head and Jesus is walking in with his feet on the ground and he says, actually, I'm not wrong. 
It's, it's, it's your definition of leadership that's wrong. See, the world says to be a leader, you've got to be powerful. You have to be a bully. You have to get your way. You have to take control. You have to have a position of authority. It's all about a power dynamic that I have to enforce my will upon someone else. And usually it's against their will. And that's how I get people to do what I want. And it's all about power. And Jesus says, that's not what leadership is. Leadership is about service. Leadership is about influence. Leadership is about laying your life down. Now, let me tell you this. When we capture this accurate perspective, an accurate paradigm of leadership, we are going to begin to turn the world right side up again. Because the world does not need more leaders who throw their weight around. The world needs more leaders who lay their lives down, who will serve, who will sacrifice, who will lead by example. Jesus' definition of leadership is accurate. This morning, I want to give you four traits of servant leaders. Four traits of servant leaders. Number one, servant leaders are humble. They're humble. John Dixon says this, and I think this is a fantastic quote. It comes from his book, Humilitas, which I would definitely recommend everyone read. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's incredible. He says this, the real power of effective leadership is maximizing other people's potential, which inevitably demands also ensuring that they get the credit. When our ego won't let us build another person up, when everything has to build us up, then the effectiveness of the organization reverts to depending instead on how good we are in the technical aspects of what we do. And we have stopped leading and inspiring others to great heights. There's a quote that I love about leadership. It says, he who leads and yet no one follows is merely taking a walk. I think there are thousands of people in this world that consider themselves to be leaders. That they're, Maybe they're the manager of a, of a store. Maybe they're polit in political office and they say, well, People are doing what I want them to do. People are, are following me, but they're not really following you. They're just doing what you want because you can hurt them if they, if they don't. You see, leadership is not about making someone do something. It's about them wanting to do something. That's what real leadership looks like. That's what Jesus understood. So you can get somebody to do something at gunpoint, but if they wouldn't do that out, out of gun, you know, without the gun there, then they're not really following you. You're just forcing them to do something. You're coercing them. And that's what the world thinks leadership is. How can I manipulate? How can I, how can I twist it and, and break you and get you to do what I want? That's what worldly leadership looks like. Jesus says, that's not real leadership. Real leadership is about maximizing other people's potential. It's about getting them to connect with a vision of the future that inspires them to do something, even if you're not going to hurt them if they don't. When you think about this with raising kids, how many of you have kids? Do you know the point of my parenting and raising my children is that at some point I won't have to do it anymore. I'm trying to work myself. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. <laughs> Not that I'm going to disconnect from my children, but I, want to, I, I don't want to be disciplining them when they're 40 years old. I want to discipline them when they're five so that when they're 40, they sort of get it and their internal motivations are now aligned with God's heart and aligned with wisdom. Hear what I'm saying today. I want to be a leader, and I don't want to just force my kids to do something. Now, sometimes as a parent, you got to use force. Come on. No, you're not going to eat tiny toast, little girl. You're taking that tiny toast away because you're being a brat. All right, moving on. That's a Greek word. Just don't worry about it. Okay. It takes humility. You've got to be humble to be a truly inspirational leader. Because inspirational leaders, they transfer their vision and they transfer their passion 
to those they lead, not just the burden of the task. In other words, leadership is not saying, hey, let me load you up with a job. Not that, not that a person won't do a job. It's that you're saying, look, let me give you my vision. Let me give you my passion so that you want to carry this load with me together. That's what humble leadership, inspirational leadership looks like. Even the, the business community is awakening to this wisdom. I'm going to hurry because I know I'm going to run out of time here. But you guys all right today? This is from the Harvard Business Review. If you say Harvard, you have to say it like this. Harvard. That's what academia is all about. Humble leaders improve the performance of a company in the long run because they create more collaborative environments. They have a balanced view of themselves, both their virtues and shortcomings, and a strong appreciation of others' strengths and contributions while being open to new ideas and feedback. These unsung heroes help their believers to build their self-esteem, go beyond their expectations, and create a community that channels individual efforts into an organized group that works for the good of the collective. For example, one study examined 105 small to medium-sized companies in the computer software and hardware industry in the United States. The findings revealed that when a humble CEO is at the helm of a firm, its top management team is more likely to collaborate and share information, making the most of the firm's talent. Another study showed that a leader's humility can be contagious. When leaders behave humbly, followers emulate their modest attitude and behavior. In other words, when you're a humble leader, it's going to create a humble culture and people are going to treat each other better and things are going to go better. A study of 161 teams found that employees following humble leaders were themselves more likely to admit their mistakes and limitations, more likely to share the spotlight by deflecting praise to others and be open to new ideas, advice, and feedback. How many of you would like to work in a company like that? Where a Jesus definition of leadership, a servant leader was there at the, the, as a part of the mix, and there was humility so that everyone treated each other better and everyone's ideas were valued and there was more collaboration. This is what servant leadership creates. This is a preferred future, you guys. This is the kind of thing we can begin to initiate in our city from the church saying we're gonna demonstrate what it looks like to be a servant leader. Number two, servant leaders, they win influence through service. And I think the best way to put this is, is this way. Servant leaders don't demand respect, they earn it. In other words, they don't tell people, hey, you need to respect me, and then I'll show you. They say, let me show you, and then you'll, and then you'll respect me. Or not. But I'm not going to demand something, I'm going to demonstrate it. Come on. I'm going to demonstrate it. I get convicted of this raising kids, because sometimes I'm like, I demand respect. Well, Dad, you're not very respectful. They don't, my kids don't say that. But there's times when I, if I treat them wrong, how am I going to expect my kids to know how to talk to each other if I'm always bossy and loud and blah at them? Don't demand respect. They earn it. They don't rely on positions of power, even if they occupy one. They serve others as a means to win influence and then use their influence for good. My friend Carrie, she says this quote, and I love this quote. She says, authority is like soap. The more you use, the less you have. In other words, when you pull the authority card, I'm the manager, I'm the boss, I'm the pastor, I'm the leader, I'm this. When you pull that card, you've actually diminished your authority, not increased it. You see, humble leaders, servant leaders, they win influence by serving other people. They add value to other people. They invest in other people. And so then when they call 
for something to come out, a, a, an objective to be taken, a, let's go and charge this hill, let's go and do something. When they call for someone to follow, there's already been an investment that they can draw from. Come on, somebody. See, when someone has invested in you, you are a lot more likely to invest in what, they're, what they want to do. Isn't that true? So servant leaders win influence through service. The object of servant leadership is the good of others, not just the achievement of objectives. And the greatest example of this is Jesus. I'm not going to read this passage, but we'll throw it up there. Philippians chapter 2 just says, have the same attitude that Jesus had. He was equal with God, but he didn't, he didn't stick with that. He didn't stick at the right hand of the Father. He, he came down and he was humble and he served us. That's what Jesus did. Why does Jesus have more influence than any other leader in all of history? Because he served greater than any other leader in all of history. Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to win influence through serving others. Number three, servant leaders lead by example. They lead by example. There's a story that, that happened. It was during the American Revolution. A man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. And their leader was shouting instructions, because that's what leaders do, right? They yell. You have to be loud, proud, and bossy. But making no attempt to help them. Asked why by the writer, he retorted with great dignity, Sir, I am a corporal. The stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. The job done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. It was none other than George Washington. Everybody goes. Nobody doesn't like George Washington. You know what I mean? You ever, I'm, I'm an anti-George Washington guy myself. No, he's awesome. Why? Because he was a servant. He was humble. He was used by God. I mean, he was amazing. Did he have flaws? Absolutely. But he, he didn't cut down the cherry tree. Or did he cut down the cherry tree? He didn't. Okay. Let's get our historical facts straight. Mr. Corporal, the next time you need the job to, to get done, come and find your commander-in-chief. Led by example. It's beautiful. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Servant leaders inspire others with their example. I think there's a, a picture we use in our joy group leaders training of a leader. Uh, there's, there's a worldly example of a boss, and he's sitting on this big block, and all these people are pulling it, and he's like bossing them around, and then it goes to the next part, and it shows the leader in the front, and people are with him pulling a load. That's how God wants us to lead. Lead from the front. Lead by example. Get, get into the mix and be a servant. That's what Jesus did. Number four, the fourth trait of a servant leader that I'll share with you this morning is this. Servant leaders lead others by following Jesus well. You see, at the beginning I said, how many of you think of yourself as this leader? And a lot of people are like, no, I'm not. And nobody that doesn't think of themselves as a leader raised their hand because they're too insecure. Right? I'm not going to raise my hand. But for myself, you know, there's so many times when we need a leader here. And it's like, I don't, somebody else will step forward. I'm reluctant. I, I, I don't know. And I always used to think that, that being a leader was about being awesome and, pe and being so awesome that people couldn't help but like be awed by your awesomeness. And that's not what being a leader is. You see, in, in the kingdom of God, the best leaders are followers. But they're not followers of the world. They're not followers of what the winds of culture. They're followers of Jesus. And when we follow Jesus well, we can lead other people to Jesus. We can lead other people to the Jesus way. We can lead other people into the vision that God has for our 
city. You know, leadership is always linked to a destination. Leadership is about getting people from here to there. It's about moving some direction. And so the question is this, where are we going? Well, the answer is this, that we as servant leaders are called to follow Jesus and lead others to him. Follow Jesus and lead others to him. Servant leaders make Jesus the target. Think about how beautiful this is. You know, even even at Joy Church, I have the privilege of being a servant and hopefully a servant leader here at Joy Church. But honestly, if it ever becomes about my vision or ever becomes about, well, I want to do this, then, then it's messed up. What we should be aiming at, you guys, is Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means we need to love like Jesus. We need to live like Jesus. We need to look like Jesus. We need to share Jesus with people. What's the target? Well, we want to be a big church. No, we want to get to Jesus. And if a lot of people want Jesus, then the more the better, right? Well, we want to, we want to do great things in our city. No, we want, to do, we want to do great things with God. We want to connect with Jesus and we want to lead people towards Jesus. And when you do that, great things are going to happen. It's going to spill over. So if you don't think of yourself as a leader, don't think about leading people to you or even to something. Think about leading people towards Jesus. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, I'm not the target. I'm leading you towards it. Servant leaders lead others by following Jesus well. As we end up today and get ready to move on and go get some donuts. I really do believe that our city is in desperate need of servant leaders to emerge. That we as followers of Christ can respond to a word like this and say, I wanna take what Jesus has worked in me, what he's done in me, and I wanna share it. I wanna be a servant leader. That's what our city needs. You believe that? That things will change. You know, every single one of you has influence, has leadership, And you say, well, I'm not a leader. No, you are leading something, even if it's just your own life. And you can be a servant leader. You can demonstrate what this looks like. And I guarantee you, when servant leaders flood into this city, it's going to change. It's going to change. Things are going to shift. Things are going to change. And it's going to look a little bit more like heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. This morning, as we talk about every Sunday, there's people here that do not have a relationship with Jesus. And you came here today looking for something. And maybe you you didn't know that was Jesus, but it is. He's the only thing that can satisfy your life and the only thing that can give you hope and peace. He's the only one that can save you from your sins. He died on the cross, gave his life for you, for me. And you can put your faith and trust in him today.